Some of you know folks that are very powerful or talented or connected in some way. Uh, probably the, the person that I am closest to is like that is the Honorable Eddie Clyde Hale. Um, I, I think, anyway, I, I, he, is, he is one of, of course, our county officials. He's, I think, what, one or two steps from the governor's office, which makes you maybe three or four from the president's office. And so, so anyway, I've, I, I, I don't know, you know, when I get around somebody like that, it's all, the, the power that is exuded is almost intoxicating. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I mean, I, I start. I've told him. I said, "Now, one day when you're the governor, I'll be your lieutenant governor. I mean, I'll, I will, I'll, I'll do that." And so, I'm not sure I want the vice president's job, um, but but maybe one day when you're when you're in White House, we'll go. But but anyway, you know, I mean, it's just, you know anybody like that? I mean, a lot of you know Eddie Clyde, so you kind of feel the same way. You understand what I'm talking about, right? But some of you are very well connected to powerful people, folks with maybe lots of money, and or they're very talented at something. It's interesting for me to watch the dynamics around that, and even to see in my own heart, in all seriousness, when you get around somebody like that, do, do you notice what changes in your attitude? Your expectations begin to change. You begin to dream about and think about, well, what if? Man, I'll tell you what, if I rode that person's coattails for a little while, I might wind up here. This might happen to me, or I may be in a different situation. It's very interesting to see how those things are very attractive. And as I said, literally intoxicating to us that we, we get a, a glimpse of what could happen if we're connected to somebody who is like that. Uh, It's interesting to see in the scripture how people began to respond to Jesus because they knew he was powerful. And he was growing in popularity. And, and here's a guy that, that appeared to be able to do something for people. He, he appeared that he could get them beyond where they were. He, he began doing and teaching things that no one had ever seen or heard or experienced. And everybody wanted something from Jesus. Just kind of like we do with the powerful people in our lives. We want something from them. Do something for me. I I don't think that's really changed much. I think in today's world, everybody has an opinion on Jesus, even if they say, I have no opinion. That is an opinion. Uh, we, We all want something from Jesus, even for the folks who just wish and want him to go away. We all want something from him. The question that I want us to wrestle with today is what do I really want from Jesus? And I mean that sincerely. I know we're sitting in church, and so you're, you're going to say all the right things. If I were to get you up here on the stage and interview you, you would give all the right answers and, and all that stuff. But I mean really today to wrestle with what is it that I really want from Jesus? And, and maybe you would just be honest with yourself and God for the next few moments, and, and you would say, you know what, instead of, instead of looking to be offended this morning, instead of looking to dismiss what is said, instead of letting it go in one ear and out the other, I'm really going to wrestle with the question of what is it really that I want from Jesus? To help us think about that, we're study that is in John chapter 6. If you want to turn there, go ahead. In John chapter 6, we get the one miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. There's only one miracle recorded in all four Gospels, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. And so if all four of the Gospel writers include this, then we know it's got something very, very important to say to us. They, they all had a perspective on it. John's perspective is, is slightly different from the other three, but they all write about it. And so I, I hope today we'll see what it is that we're supposed to learn uh, as we look at it. We're going to kind of work through this verse by verse, and then I'm going to give you what's on the outline, okay? So if you're, if you're waiting for that, it will come after we get through working verse by verse. Just as a heads up, for those of you that care about such things, 
you're going to be impatient at some point, and I want you to know ahead of time, just be more patient, okay? How about that? All right, so look at verse 1 of chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. So again, we're going to work through this just verse by verse, so I'll stop and we'll explain a few things in between. So you've got a huge crowd that's following Jesus, and the reason that's given is because they saw what he was doing, they saw the miracles in healing the sick. Now the other gospels give us the idea that this crowd knew sort of where he was going in his boat and they run around the Sea of Galilee and they wait for him and they meet him there. So Jesus is leaving one spot of ministry and winds up going to another and there's everybody waiting for him. And they're, they're waiting for him to do more miracles. And let me just tell you this just kind of as a side note, uh, and many of you understand this, if, if you want to be a person uh, who God can use, you want to be a person who does uh, ministry in some way, and I'm not even talking about paid vocational church ministry, I'm just talking about having an impact for the kingdom of God in the lives of people, there are times when it is going to be absolutely exhausting. Jesus didn't get much of a break here. He's on the boat for a time with his disciples. I would imagine during that time, he's going to be teaching them some things and so on. They're not leaving him alone. And he gets to the other side and there's more people who need him for some reason. Sometimes helping out in the lives of people is just plain exhausting. That is the way that it is. So these, these folks who are waiting for him are hoping to see and, and, and to experience more healings, more spectacular miracles by Jesus. And then we get to verse three. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the other gospels tell us that the crowd is there. He begins to teach them. So he begins to teach. Now pay attention real quick that he doesn't start with performing more miracles. What's the crowd want him to do? Perform more miracles, right? I guarantee they've brought more sick people. They've got more folks who need healing in some way. And they're all waiting for him and shouting, heal me, you know, heal, me, heal my, my friend, my, my husband, my son, my daughter, whomever, heal, heal us. But Jesus doesn't play to the crowd. I, I love this about him. I, I wish I were more like this. I wish I were more of the leader, and I wish we had more leaders in our world like Jesus was. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He is not there to play to the crowd. They all want him to do certain things, to perform for them, and guess what? He sits down, and he starts to teach them. Now, now I, I can almost picture some people in the crowd that day saying, Hey, um, it's getting dark, dude. When's the show start? You know, when, when's, when's the healing begin? You've been teaching a while. That's great. We've listened. Now get on with it. You almost picture people doing that, right? That's what they really wanted from Jesus in this scenario was for him to do more miracles. You can almost picture that. But Jesus knows there's something more important even than them being healed physically. And that is for them to be healed spiritually as he teaches them the word of God. And so that's what he does from the very start. Look at verse 4. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. And therefore the Jew, when Jesus rather looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? So it's the time of the Passover. Lots and lots and lots of people have gathered for this particular Jewish festival. And so there's lots of people around. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus had taught them all day long. And he looks at them and he knows they're hungry and he feels compassion for them. And he, and he wants to help them out. Don't, don't miss that part about God. Sometimes God can seem so distant. And, and we, we miss the fact that he is in tune with our needs. And he understands uh, the things that, that we need in life. Jesus had been with people all day long. He had been teaching them. And he knows they're exhausted. 
He knows they're tired. And so, you know, today at about 1.30, when I get done preaching, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that you, that you have some food. And I'm just, you know, but that's kind of like it was. I mean, imagine that you're sitting in church and, and the pastor gets up and he starts at about 10.25-ish and you know that he's going to go and the service will end at about 11 and he doesn't stop. And he ain't showing any signs of stopping, you know. He's just getting worked up at that point. And he, he just keeps turning in his notes. And you see his notes, and they're about this thick. And you think, man, we're going to be here all day. And it hits about 1 o'clock, and you've already missed, of course. I mean, the, the Church of Christ has been there. The Methodists have been there. I'm not sure what time the Catholics let out, but they've been there. I mean, everybody in town has been there to Sirloin Stockade. And you you know, I mean, at some point, the buffet's not going to be quite what it was at 1130. I mean, that's just the way that it goes. And so, so, so they're hungry. And Jesus looks at them, and he knows they're hungry. He knows they've been there all day long. And it's pat. they've missed a meal or two along the way. And, and then he says... To one of his disciples, Philip, says, where are we going to buy enough food for these folks? And in verse 6, look at it. He, he asked this to test him. For he, don't miss this, he himself knew what he was going to do. Isn't that great? It's not as if Jesus thought, oh, God, I, man, I, the time got away from me. Where is it gone? I don't know what's going to happen. I, these people, I know they're hungry, and, man, I feel bad about it. Guys, anybody got an idea? Where are we going to get some food? He's doing it to test Philip. It's a, it's a test of faith. It's a test to see if Philip has been paying attention all along. He's been a disciple following Jesus around. And so the miracle worker is asking, how are we going to have a miracle happen? He just sets him up. He puts it right on the tee. Philip, this is easy, man. Knock this one out of the park. It's easy. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have just a little. He misses it completely. He just swings and misses. No clue at all. Philip responds here from the standpoint of someone who sees only what's right in front of him, except Jesus. He doesn't see Jesus somehow. He, he, he responds from the standpoint of what's right in front of him. He says, there's no way that this can happen. A man could work 200 days. That's a one day's wage. He says, this is 200 days over. You could work 200 days and still not have enough to give everybody just a little bit of food. That's logical, obviously, from a human standpoint. But remember, this is a test for Philip. Jesus wants to know what he believes, what he's come to learn is possible with the Messiah. Let, let, me, let me say this, both from personal experience, uh, from personal failure, and certainly from looking around at others' experiences and others' failure, there are lots of tests like this in our lives. Tests of faith to see what do we really believe about Jesus. Something happens, things go sideways, things get tight. Well, I wonder what's going to happen, Jesus says. I wonder how you're going to get out of this one. And he, and, he, and he puts those thoughts in our minds. Well, I, how is this going to work out? And maybe, just maybe, it's a test and we say, I don't have any idea. It's impossible. I mean, there's literally no way out of this. And, and we answer according to whatever it is that we're dealing with. Uh, Lord, I, I mean, I, you know, kind of like Philip, you know, you, you could work and work and work and try to figure out solution after solution and nothing's going to solve this problem. 
And you just picture Jesus that day looking at Philip like, really? Any idea who I am? You've been paying attention on the other side of the sea? I mean, I've been healing sick people. Miraculously, it's been pretty cool if you haven't been paying attention. Philip misses it, though. And don't we often do the same thing? Then verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Andrew at least says, hey, we got something. We got something we can work with. He got a little bit of food. He tells Jesus about it, but, but he knows. He knows it's not enough. What we're going to find out is that there are at least 5,000 men there, and that doesn't even include the women and children. There are potentially upwards of eighteen to 20,000 people sitting on this hillside. It's filling Stewart Stadium. What are we going to do? We're out of racer dogs, okay? We don't have anything. We have nothing. What will we do? They're all thinking in terms of what is humanly possible, obviously. Even after they had been with Jesus, they, they don't see what is possible and they don't pick up on this test of their faith. Nope, they say, we don't have enough. It's impossible. Not sure what we're going to do. Maybe we just send them home. Just let these people go home so they can, they can feed themselves. They can take care of themselves. And then verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Jesus says, have them sit down. He, Table for 5,000, he says, right here. Just gather around for the meal that I'm about to give you. Imagine the disciples saying, uh, okay, he's going to teach some more. Everybody sit down. Got some to say, I guess. He's preparing them for a meal that they don't know where it's coming from. They don't understand what it's going to be. But he's preparing them for a meal in which they will eat all they want. And through which he will teach them an awful lot. Verse 11. Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish as much as they wanted. So, so maybe the disciples thought, well, okay, we took these five pieces of bread. Now understand, these are not loaves of bread that you would get at the store. I mean, they, these are small, little bitty cake-like bread. And there's, and there's some fish here, more like sardines, kind of pickled type fish. That, that's the kind of fish that would have been had. And barley loaves were, were the bread of the poor. So we're not talking about, you know, okay, this guy has spent all day baking a bunch of stuff, and maybe Jesus is just going to say, all right, let's spread this out, and we'll show people how to live on less. You know, just be satisfied with whatever you get. That, maybe that's what they thought. <laughs> Dig deep and share with people, and, and, and that's the lesson for the day. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he gives thanks. Now, notice he doesn't bless the food. He simply gives thanks to God for what God has done, who he is, and what he's about to do. And the other gospels record that he blesses the Lord. He, he gives a, a, like a, a, a word of praise to his heavenly father. There's something powerful, really, about that kind of prayer and that kind of attitude toward the Lord, obviously. But anyway, he blesses God. He thanks him for what he has done, what he will do. And then he starts handing it out. Picture the scene. The disciples are, okay, I'm going to take a little bit here, and they've got some, some you know, baskets and so on. Okay, I'm going to run over this way, and I'll hand some out. And they, they keep coming back, and there's more. And more, and more, and more. And it says, as much as they wanted. I mean, talk about sirloin stockade again. I mean, this is the seafood buffet on Fridays there, and it's free. 
I mean, it's, it's incredible. And they never run out of fish and cornbread. It's amazing. And that's what Jesus is doing, just passing it out over and over and over. And then verse 12, when they were full... He told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Isn't that interesting? Where are we going to get food for all these people? No idea. Hey, guys, go pick up all the leftovers. Isn't that interesting? When they were full. It wasn't Jesus just breaking it into pieces, as I said, showing them how to, how to get by with less. Here's a, here's a lesson in scarcity. It was over and above. It's abundant. It's, it's, it's more than they could have ever expected. Until they were full, he fed them. And there's that one dude who keeps coming back for fourths and fifths, you know. Really, guy? You want some more? And Jesus is like, just go ahead. I got plenty. I promise. It's all good. It's all good. I'll make some more, you know. No problem. So they collected them, verse 13, and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Twelve basketfuls. Don't, don't miss the obvious symbolism. Symbolizing, of course, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel and one for each of the disciples. Symbolizing that Jesus is enough for all who have come before and all who are going after. He's enough for everybody who has ever lived. All of his people get enough in Jesus. They collect twelve baskets full. Verse 14. When the, when the people, rather, saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is really the prophet who has come into the world. So everybody's hyped. I mean, they're, they're, it's pep rally time. They are, they're pumped. The music starts, you know, and, and here they go rocking, you know, I mean, they're ready. You know what I'm talking about? This is the prophet, they say. This is the guy from God we've been waiting for. It's finally happening. All that God said in the Old Testament, here we go. It's finally our time. Things are about to change for us. And in verse 15, therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, yeah, let's go, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And that seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, he gets a little bit of taste of what could happen, and he says, no, 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 no. The crowd, based upon them being there for Passover, lots of nationalistic stuff going on. I mean, they're, they're excited. And what they want is to find the leader who can overthrow the Roman government and give them their credibility, give them their safety, give them their nation back. And they think they've found it in Jesus. I mean, if he can do amazing things like this with just food, imagine what he can do if he were the king. And because that's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish, he got out of there. It's not his mission, so he left the scene. Now, I told you we'd work verse by verse, and then we'd go to the outline, so we're almost there, okay? We're almost there. I really believe that, it, that we see in this story, in these 15 verses, two stereotypical things that people want from Jesus. Two things that I think are still in play today, things that haven't changed ever and probably won't ever change. Two things that might seem at first to be almost, okay, well, that's not bad. But it comes back to the question that I want us to wrestle with and really want you to think about today is what do I really want from Jesus? Because in the crowd that day, and certainly here today, and among people who claim to follow Jesus all around the world, there are people who would say, and answer that question, what do I really want from Jesus? There are people who would say, Lord, meet my needs. 
That would be awesome. Lord, just meet my needs. The crowds raced to the other side because of the healings that he had done. And surely to goodness, there were lots of people in that crowd who needed healing. The sick, the crippled, the broken physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, all needing something from this great healer. And so they rushed to him, likely calling out, heal me, Lord Jesus, over here, over here. And then after he had taught them for a long time, they get hungry and he miraculously provides this incredible meal that they get full on. And no wonder they're astonished. This guy can meet every need that we have. I mean, he he can heal us, he can feed us, he can do anything. Man, this guy, I I need to be around this guy. He can meet all my needs. I I think when when we start to break that down just a little bit... There, there are sort of some subcategories, if you will, a couple of them that stand out to me on our needs. You know, we begin to pray things like, you know, Lord, Lord, meet my needs by providing for me physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, uh, in my job, Lord, in, in school, whatever it may be. Uh, the George Barna Company did a study on the content of, of most prayers of Christians. And number one on the list was gratitude. We spend a lot of time saying thanks to the Lord. Nothing inherently wrong with that, but what are we saying thanks for? A lot for God's provision. God, thank you for our food and for our stuff and for our families, our our whatever. And second on the list, right behind that, one percentage point behind that, by the way, was, was prayers for the needs of our families and our communities. What are we saying? Lord, meet my needs. That's what I want. Now, now we, we look at the crowds, and we might get a little cynical. I mean, they're not following him because they really want to obey him or they really know him. They just want him to do something for them. But if we're honest, many times we're no different. We, we pray mainly about our needs. Lord, provide for me. Or, or, or another subcategory there would be, Lord, meet my needs by protecting me from anything uncomfortable, from getting sick, from getting hurt, from losing anyone close to me, from pain, from criticism. Lord, just protect me as a Christian. I I want you to protect me here in this world. Make everything go my way if you don't mind. Now, I'll just tell you from this point, probably for the next seven or eight minutes, you're probably not going to be real happy with me. I'm just going to give you a heads up so you can prepare emotionally. We'll turn the page as we leave. We'll try to hear from God and still be friends, okay? Um, I, I came across, we talk about this protection, this Lord, the needs that I really want you to, to have for me. This kind of leads into the next one as well we'll talk about. But I, I saw a shared Facebook post from, uh, from an older gentleman who, who I knew when I was at my home church growing up and then working there years and years ago and, and, and a guy that I know and, and respect and love. And he shared a post, and it included a variety of things, but one of the things that that he said was, I'm sick and tired of seeing Christianity smeared, of seeing good people mocked for believing in Jesus. And he was mad, really mad, fuming, irate mad. And in the background, there was a cross. And I thought, dude, did you see the cross? Do you know the story? Do you you understand that Jesus himself was smeared and mocked? Do you you get that? No, like I said, I'm going to make you mad. Do you understand that? that? That God allowed his own son to experience those things, and then we as believers in Christ, we have both the expectation and the subtle audacity to say, that should never happen to me? Really? 
We want protection, provision. We want our needs met. Nothing inherently wrong with asking God to meet our needs, but stop short to think of what Jesus really wants for. Secondly, in the crowd that day, like I'm not done making you mad yet, so just hang on, okay? That wasn't the five to seven minutes, I promise. It's going to get worse. Uh, there were people who had something else in mind, not just that their needs would be met, but Lord, promote my agenda. After they saw this great miracle of the bread and the fish, they thought, this is our guy. This is him. He's the one. He can do it. And so you see here at the end of this little, this episode, Jesus knew they were going to come and take him by force and make him king. What they really wanted was to promote their agenda of a, of a Jewish rebellion against the Roman government. I mean, again, if he can do things like this, I mean, golly, what could he do if he had political and military power? Let's get him there. We can do it. We got enough people. Let's, let's go. Let, let's have a, a rebellion right now. And Jesus, of course, came to be king, but a king of a far different variety than they or we often want him to be. Because in the end, when he was not the king that they wanted, you know what they did with him? They rejected him and they crucified him. And it was ironically in so doing that God glorified him as the king of the universe. Now, we, we do this too, myself included. We, we want to attach Jesus to our agendas. Uh, Clint and I talked about, and I talked with my own kids about it, when they went to Mission Fuge this summer, the, the speaker talked about the different kinds of Jesuses that we like. And so they, they, he was telling me about hippie Jesus and homeboy Jesus and Dr. Phil Jesus and, and these different kinds of variations of Jesuses that we really hope that he's like. And I, and I wrote my own list that I think if I'm honest with myself and I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning that we probably either here at Elm Grove or here in Callaway County or here in Kentucky or here in the United States, these are the kinds of Jesuses that we really hope he's going to be. So I, so I thought of political Jesus. Jesus. Everybody, uh, just hang on. <laughs> Political Jesus is used by everybody. Everybody. He's used by both liberals and conservatives to advance whatever they want to have happen in Washington and across our country. Political Jesus. Do you realize that when I look at Jesus... And I read the scripture, and, I, and, I, and I, I'll admit to you, I could be wrong. But, but I would venture to say that if he showed up on the scene, and everybody's trying to get him to promote their political agenda, the conservatives are going to look at him as way too liberal, and the liberals are going to look at him as way too conservative. And nobody's going to like it. Nobody. Because he does not get on board with any particular political agenda. He's not overly concerned with ours. And he's not holding his breath to see what happens in American politics. He's not. He's God. Does not have to hold his breath and say, oh, I just, boy, I hope that this party gets in because then, man, now we're in business. He ain't doing any of that junk. Goodness gracious. He is Jesus. He's not political Jesus. He's God. Now, closely tied to political Jesus, here in America, we have American Jesus, right? That says that 
And he, he's for us no matter what we do. He is for us because we somehow, we think, are God's second chosen people. And we find somehow, I guess, America written in somewhere into the pages of Scripture. I don't see it, but maybe it's there. I don't know. But we like American Jesus because now, okay, we're God's chosen people. We can do whatever we want. I told you it's going to make you mad. And since I'm, I'm making us mad, as I, as I look around the room today, it's probably beneficial that we call out white Jesus. Um, this one is laughable, by the way, because Jesus wasn't white. He was not white. He was very brown. Um, and, and in truth be told, there, there are some uh, in, in our community, in our state, in our country, who would be very uncomfortable with Jesus based upon the color of his skin. Let's just shoot it straight. Jesus was not a white, middle-class American man. Uh, he, he came from a different place. He spoke a different language. At one point, he was chased from his country as a baby and was a refugee. Um, anyway, I told you I'd make a lot of you mad. I'll make, I'll make some of the other ones mad now. So if you're mad, you can just calm down for a second. On the other side of all that, we also have tolerant Jesus. He's the one who's cool with you doing whatever you want to do. doesn't matter. It's cool. Just as long as you're nice to people. You promote peace and understanding in the world. It's all good. He's always got a smile on his face. He doesn't care what you believe. He's just like all the other good religious leaders. You just live a good life and everything's cool. That's, that's tolerant Jesus. Or, or for some of us, we like our BFF Jesus. Our best friend forever, Jesus. He, he is the one who will always tell you what you need and want to hear, even if it's not true. You got a best friend like that? You know you can call them. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you're mad at. They're mad too. They don't even care. Because they just love you and you can do no wrong in their eyes. Our, our world also likes the, the idea of, of just good teacher, Jesus. The, the one who had some good things to teach us. I mean, filter out the God talk, obviously. If you filter out the cross, he's great. I mean, somebody we can learn from. You see all the different ways that we want Jesus to fit our agendas? You see that? I told you, now some of you are like, dude, I'm done. Done. Get me out of here. But I ain't done. <clears throat> Not quite. Almost. That day by the lake, there were people who had an agenda. Here today, myself included, are people who have an agenda that we want Jesus to get on board with. Every single person in this room, every single person in every church across America, if we're honest with ourselves, we have an agenda that we hope Jesus is in favor of because then, and then, and then, we'll, it'll be fine. He'll be the one that we want him to be. But I need to with we need to wrestle with the question what do I really want from Jesus is it simply to meet my needs or to promote my agenda Jesus by the way has an agenda and that is to see sinners come to a saving knowledge of himself and he has an agenda for us and that is for us to make disciples who love Jesus with all that they are that's our agenda Sometimes because we really don't know him or because we don't understand his mission or because honestly we're just sinful. That's just the way it is, myself included. Or because we think Jesus can be manipulated or because we don't like his agenda. We wish he had a different one, but he's got one. And that is to save people from their sins. What do I really want from Jesus? There's one last thing that, that's written there on your outline that, that I believe Jesus really wants us to want. Okay? So we're going to turn this back around. We're going to focus on him as we close.
What does Jesus really want us to want from him? What, what kind of thing would he say? You know what? This is what I want you to pray every day of every week for the rest of your life. I think it comes down to simply, Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. I want you to look at, at, at the, the verses that follow this a little bit. If, you, if you've got your Bible still open and you haven't left yet, I want you to look at verse 25 of John chapter 6. Jesus kind of follows this episode up with some teaching. And he explains to them, Here, here's, some of what, here's some of what I want you to understand about what I just did. Look at it in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. What? You want me to meet your needs. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. <laughs> hey, how can we do this kind of thing? What, 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 man, we've got a great agenda. We want to do some great things for God. And then Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign, are, <laughs> what sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe in you, as if the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't enough? What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they say, sir, give us this bread always. And what does Jesus say? I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Do you see why he performs this miracle? He points to the fact that you think you need certain things in your life. You, you want your needs met, or you have an agenda. You see, but all that stuff is unimportant compared to what I really give you. And that's life, and life eternal. Jesus did not come merely to demonstrate that he could provide for our needs, though he, we can trust that he will. He did not merely come so that he might shape our agendas to fit his, though he will if you walk with him. He came primarily to give us life through our faith in him. And that's what he says. That's the bread we need to be eating is him. We need to be consuming him. Lord, give me you. It's okay to pray for your needs. It's okay to take those agendas to the Lord and say, God, is this of you? Lord, help me to see things from your perspective. But ultimately what God, I believe, through Jesus wants for us is for us to pray, Lord, give me you. Take me beyond where I am. Fill me with what never runs out. Lord, meet that need in my life. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to do that, the other needs that you have, they don't, they don't go away. But you begin to see them in a different light. The agendas that we have and that other people have, you begin to see them through, filtered through the agenda of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And man, I tell you what, it changes everything about you. The more that they got him, the more they would learn to trust him to meet their needs. The more their agendas would be shaped to his the more he would be the center of their lives, their, their needs, their agendas. Every day, Lord, give me you. You say, what does it mean to walk with Jesus? 
I, I think it means every day of every week, my knowledge of him increases, my response to him increases. That I simply put myself before him, as it says in Luke chapter 9, that I, that I deny myself and take up my cross daily, and I just follow him. Lord, give me you. My, my encouragement, my prayer this week will be simply that. Lord, give me you. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. I, I, I'm as human as you are. I got needs in my life right now that are unmet. Certain things, whatever they may be, all those different categories we talk about. You do too. And I pray a lot about those things. Lord, I, I really wish you'd do something about this. Listen, I've got agendas in my life that I, man, I'm telling you what, I, for me to submit those things to the Lord ain't easy. Because I read you that list of all those different Jesuses, and I'm standing there looking in the mirror. And I, the only thing, based on God's word and what he shows me, the only thing that's going to move me past those things that are certainly important but are not of greatest importance is for me to pray every day, Lord, give me you. So what's the application this week? It's that. To pray every day when you get up, Lord, give me you. Lord, help me understand you. Lord, reveal you. Lord, help me to follow you. That's it. That's the application. Okay, what do I do? I just told you, that's, that's what you do. <laughs> you ever got to the end of the sermon, you say, well, okay, yeah, but that's it. I really believe that's it. Jesus said, that's what he wants to give us, the bread of life. Lord, give me you, give me that. And that's the application, the prayer this week. You can leave angry if you want to, and that's okay. We'll agree to disagree. But I hope that what you leave seeing is that Jesus, the Son of God, came in order to give you life. He is the bread of life, crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected, the Son of God, who loved you and loved me enough to come and die for our sins so that we might be forgiven and made new for all eternity. The bread of life. Lord, I'll take that. <laughs> Lord, give me you. Let's pray together.